Welcome to The Congressional Record, a podcast by ProLegis. Each week, we bring you a deep dive into Congress's policy priorities. In this podcast, we will cover the processes unique to the first branch of government, as well as discuss some of the pressing policy issues legislators are working on. I'm your host, Charlene Burns, a senior research assistant at ProLegis. Today, we bring you an episode on electric vehicles and electric vehicle tax credits. The transportation sector is responsible for a large portion of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. As policymakers and regulators develop policies and programs to mitigate climate change and reduce emissions, electric vehicle deployment provides one avenue for targeting transportation-related emissions. This year, the Biden administration and congressional Democrats have proposed new targets and programs to expand electric vehicle deployment. In this episode, we will talk about the status of electric vehicle deployment in the U.S., considerations of policymakers interested in expanding electric vehicle usage, and the recent proposal in the Build Back Better Act to expand the federal electric vehicle tax credit. Prologis is a new policy technology company founded by former congressional staffers and startup alums. We have one mission, to offer free tools that make it easier to learn about, track, and deepen your understanding of policy issues and legislation. We offer free features, such as U.S. code redlining and a personalizable dashboard to track the legislation and congressional activity that matters to you. We also offer nonpartisan, unbiased information through our briefings and podcasts. Sign up for a free account today to get full access to the suite of policy tools on Prolegis.com. Electric cars date back as far as the late 1890s, but they soon fell out of favor when Henry Ford's mass-produced Model T made gasoline-powered cars widely available and affordable. Since then, gas-powered vehicles have dominated the road in the U.S. However, the 21st century has witnessed the revival of the electric car. The rollout of the Toyota Prius, the world's first mass-produced hybrid electric vehicle, and Tesla Motors have redefined the electric vehicle market. Consequently, electric vehicle sales grew rapidly in the last two decades. Hybrid electric vehicles are most popular, while fully electric vehicles have rapidly gained popularity since 2017. In 2019, 2.3% of light-duty vehicles sold were electric. Electric vehicles are primarily categorized into three types, all-electric, hybrids, and plug-in hybrids. All-electric vehicles are powered by electric motors and receive power by plugging into the grid and storing it in batteries. Hybrid electric vehicles were the first mainstream electrified automobile and use a battery that is powered by the internal combustion engine and regenerative braking. Plug-in hybrids use batteries to power an electric motor, but also have a separate petroleum-based or alternative fuel-powered internal combustion engine. Although electric vehicles gained traction in the last couple decades, there are still many obstacles to widespread adoption. Electric vehicles have become popular for a number of reasons, including rising oil prices, concerns about the greenhouse gas emissions from petroleum-powered cars, and the development of electric vehicles that are affordable and or can travel long distances between charges. However, there are still limitations to electric vehicles, including 1. Higher costs. Electric vehicles are generally more expensive than internal combustion engine vehicles, although this gap is decreasing. 2. Batteries. 
Many consumers are concerned about the longevity and cost of replacing batteries in electric vehicles. And three, charging electric vehicles. Charging electric vehicles is not as convenient as pumping gas. With a standard 12-volt plug, electric vehicles can take several nights to recharge. Additionally, charging infrastructure is not nearly as extensive as petrol fueling infrastructure. Where does the federal government come in on the issue of electric vehicle deployment? Electric vehicles are an area of focus for surface transportation policy proposals. One of the major reasons electric vehicles are of interest to policymakers is that they present an alternative to high-emission internal combustion engines. When electric vehicles are powered by electric grids run on natural gas, they are still more emissions-friendly than internal combustion engine vehicles, and when charged exclusively with renewable electricity, electric vehicles can run nearly emission-free. The environmental benefits of increasing the adoption of electric vehicles in the U.S. has led policymakers to consider supporting the development and deployment of electric vehicles. First, electric vehicle charging infrastructure. One of the challenges to widespread adoption of electric vehicles is concerns about limited charging infrastructure. As of July 2020, there are 26,000 public electric vehicle charging stations in the U.S., with more than 84,000 plugs. Automakers have plans to continue investing in electric vehicle charging infrastructure, but this is primarily concentrated in metropolitan areas currently. Expanding the number of charging stations and increasing the deployment of high-power Level 3 charging could improve the reliability of electric vehicles. Level 3 charging is also known as DC fast charging, which can charge an electric vehicle's battery to 80% capacity in an hour or less. For policymakers, Options related to charging infrastructure include supporting home charging investments, financing the construction of public charging stations, and establishing codes for charging at parking facilities. Electric vehicle charging is also an important part of making them environmentally friendly. Upstream emissions are the primary source of emissions for electric vehicles. To make them the environmentally friendly alternative to internal combustion engine vehicles, Policymakers will need to consider coupling policies supporting the deployment of electric vehicles with those that help transition the U.S. energy mix towards cleaner energy sources. Second, electric vehicle batteries. Batteries are a crucial component of electric vehicles, which present new considerations for supply chain and materials management. For policymakers, potential considerations include the supply of minerals and other raw materials for batteries, the ability to manufacture battery cells, and end-of-life management by recycling and disposing batteries composed of chemicals that may be dangerous to people and the environment. The demand for raw materials for electric vehicle batteries is expected to surge in the coming years. However, the raw materials used are concentrated in a few countries. 50% of world cobalt reserves are in the Democratic Republic of Congo, 58% of lithium reserves are in Chile, and 80% of natural graphite reserves are in China, Brazil, and Turkey. The concentration of the supply chain makes electric vehicle production susceptible to instability and disruptions. Consequently, policymakers may consider funding R&D for alternative technologies to diversify supply chains. Further down the production chain is the issue of producing battery cells. Just a decade ago, the U.S. had virtually no manufacturing capacity for lithium-ion battery cells. 
Since then, the federal government has awarded grants to support manufacturers in the U.S. However, the U.S. is still significantly behind China. Additionally, policymakers may consider the disposal of batteries. On average, batteries are expected to have a lifespan of 10 to 20 years before they need to be replaced. Potential end-of-life pathways include reusing the battery in other applications, recycling its materials, and disposal. Currently, there are fewer than a dozen facilities globally that recycle these batteries. Expanding such capacity could help improve their life cycles. However, if batteries cannot be recycled, policymakers may consider developing regulations and guidelines for how they are disposed of to ensure proper storage for environmental and health purposes. Finally, federal incentives for electric vehicles. In the last 10 to 15 years, the federal government has actively provided incentives to encourage the deployment of electric vehicles due to the environmental benefits of electric vehicles over traditional vehicles that run on gasoline or diesel. One of the primary ways the federal government supports electric vehicles is through tax credits. In 2008, Congress passed the Emergency Economic Stabilization Act of 2008, which established a tax credit for plug-in electric vehicles, known as PEVs. The 2008 legislation established tax credits of $2,500 to $7,500 per vehicle, depending on the PEV's battery capacity. For individuals, the credit can be used to offset tax liability in the current year. The credit is non-refundable and cannot be carried back or forward. For businesses, the credit can be used towards depreciable property and can be carried back one year or carried forward for up to 20 years. At the time, the PEV tax credit was set to phase out for each vehicle manufacturer when that manufacturer sold 250,000 qualifying vehicles. The PEV tax credit has been extended since 2008. Additionally, in 2009, the phase-out threshold was decreased from the 250,000 vehicle limit to 200,000, which is the current threshold. Thus far, only Tesla and GM have passed the threshold. After the break, we will discuss how policymakers may use the Federal Electric Vehicle Tax Credit and the recent proposed expansion of the credit in the Build Back Better Act. Looking for a simple policy brief that will give you the context necessary to write that policy memo or vote recommendation? Prolegis briefings are quick, no-nonsense summaries of trending topics with overviews of legislation and links to additional reading from the best of the policy landscape. Prolegis briefings are objective and nonpartisan, and they provide the key details on trending bills or policy topics, as well as the resources to dive deeper. Each week, Prolegis publishes briefings that address the most important issues in Congress, covering a wide range of topics including healthcare, energy and environment, finance and taxation, technology, transportation and infrastructure, social issues, and more. Sign up for a free Prolegis account to get access to Prolegis briefings today. Policymakers are divided on whether electric vehicle tax credits are cost-effective. The Congressional Research Service suggests three criteria for policymakers to determine the effectiveness of PEV tax credits. One, whether the credit has increased the number of electric vehicles in use. Two, who benefits from the credit. And three, the cost of the credit relative to the benefits. 
First, studies of the federal tax credit have found that it's generally increased PEV sales. One study found that the credit contributed to a 30% increase in PEV sales, with a 49% increase for the Nissan LEAF specifically. A survey by UC Davis found that 30% of early market electric vehicle consumers cited the PEV tax credit as a factor that influenced their purchasing decision. Second, the Joint Committee on Taxation estimates that 50% of the tax credit is claimed by corporations. Of the individual taxpayers who have claimed the credit, a disproportionate number are higher income taxpayers. 78% of those claiming the credit have an adjusted gross income of $100,000 or more. Additionally, around half of those claiming the credit live in California. Finally, according to the Joint Committee on Taxation, the tax credit cost around $7.5 billion in foregone revenue between fiscal year 2018 and fiscal year 2022. With all these considerations, policymakers differ on how to balance the costs and benefits of the PEV tax credit. Critics of the credit highlight how it is primarily used by high-income earners. In addition, the fact that electric vehicle owners do not have to pay the gas tax has been seized on by some critics since it is the primary revenue source for maintaining highways, roads, and bridges. On the other hand, proponents of the federal tax credits argue that they have been crucial to expanding the electric vehicle market and that mass adoption of electric vehicles is necessary to reduce carbon emissions from the transportation sector. However, some supporters of electric vehicle tax credits also criticize the structure of the current tax credit due to the manufacturer-based cap and because the value of the credit is not indexed to inflation. With tackling climate change as one of the themes of the Budget Reconciliation Bill, Congressional Democrats are moving ahead with a proposal to expand the electric vehicle tax credit. The House Ways and Means Committee unveiled its portion of the bill in September. In it, Democrats proposed a new tax credit of up to $12,500 per vehicle for U.S.-made, union-made, zero-emission electric vehicles. The provision does not change the base credit of $7,500 for electric vehicles, but adds an additional $2,500 for those assembled in the U.S., and another $2,500 if it is assembled in a union facility. It would also create a new, smaller credit of up to $2,500 for used electric vehicles. The provision would remove the 200000 vehicle limit meaning Tesla and GM would once again be eligible. The credits described above would be available for five years for all vehicles and an additional five years for only U.S.-produced vehicles. Responding to concerns that the tax credits favor the wealthy, the bill would establish limitations on which vehicles and taxpayers can qualify. First, sedans under $55,000, vans under $54,000, SUVs under $69,000, and pickup trucks under $74,000 are eligible. Individuals with an adjusted gross income of up to $400,000 and joint filers making up to $800,000 would be eligible. The proposal was championed by Representative Dan Kildee, who serves on the House Ways and Means Committee and is partially based on similar legislation from Senator Debbie Stabenow, which passed the Senate Finance Committee as the Clean Energy for America Act. 
The bill was met with mixed reactions from auto companies. On one hand, Detroit's big three automakers, GM, Ford, and Stellantis, formerly Fiat Chrysler, will likely benefit most from these new credits because their operations are unionized with the United Auto Workers. Meanwhile, foreign companies like Toyota have spoken out against the provision, arguing it discriminates against automakers based on their choice not to unionize. Tesla, which is not unionized, has also joined in on criticizing the proposal for unfairly favoring the Big Three. Republican lawmakers have also opposed the provision. Republicans still argue that the tax credit will primarily benefit higher-income individuals and argue the income caps are set too high. On the other hand, House Democrats, such as Representative Kildee, argue it will accelerate the transition to electric vehicles and reduce transportation emissions. Democrats also view this as a major step towards reaching President Biden's goal of achieving 50% electric vehicle sales by 2030. Since this provision is included in the Budget Reconciliation Bill, Democrats will not need to worry about getting bipartisan support. However, some Senate Democrats joined Republicans in support of a non-binding amendment to the original Budget Reconciliation Resolution. This amendment would have set a limit on the tax credit. Introduced by Senator Deb Fischer, the non-binding amendment would only allow electric vehicles costing less than $40,000 to qualify for the tax credit. The amendment was supported by Senators Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, and Mark Kelly. However, the inclusion of the provisions in the latest version of the Budget Reconciliation Bill suggests the White House believes that it may have the necessary support from all Democratic senators to pass. That's all for this episode of the Congressional Record. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to sign up for your free ProLegis account if you haven't already. You can go to ProLegis.com, that's P-R-O-L-E-G-I-S.com, to find additional show notes and sources for each of our episodes. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Our handles are in the episode notes as well. Finally, I want to give special thanks to Jason Lemons and Greg Nunziata for editing this episode. We'll see you next week on the Congressional Record.